welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm delighted to be speaking with Conrad Godfredson, who is one of the pioneers of workflow learning and the five moments of need, alongside Bob Mosher, who was a guest on episode 19 of this podcast. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. And thank you to those of you who've already done so. Now let's get into it. Conrad, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Now, learning in the flow of work, point of work, and workflow learning are gaining prominence, but the terms are also being misused to describe more of the same, kind of your stop work to learn practices. But so how do you define workflow learning and how does it differentiate from e-learning, micro-learning, webinars, and say content on demand? That's a great question. You know, anytime you touch the workflow, you, I guess you technically have workflow learning, but but much of what is being uh, touted today as workflow learning really <laughs> is just touching the workflow, but but not what I would say would be true workflow learning. You know, at its core, workflow learning occurs in the workflow while performing work, mm. and that's an, a vital distinction because to the, to the degree that you step away from that, you step mm. away from true workflow learning. So. You know, historically, we've we've had, you know, just in time learning where we've where people can be in the workflow and they can access, you know, uh, an e-learning course. But is is that workflow learning? No, you you have to stop work to learn at that point. And to the degree that you have to stop work to learn rather than learn while actually doing your work you're stepping away from from real workflow learning. And I think this is such an important um, conversation starter, Conrad, because not not only do we misinterpret the term uh, of workflow learning and the message that's coming across from from yourself, from from Gary Wise, from from Bob, your partner, um, we, you know, there's the misuse of the term, but also there is the missing of the opportunity. There, there, There is a... Uh, a tendency in learning and development to because because there are so many new terms and sometimes there there are so many terms that people don't know um, what to pay attention to and what not. But there is this tendency we have to rebrand existing practice as this emerging practice. And what I have seen is that the fact that people can access it where they work means that it can be rebranded as learning in the flow of work yeah. or workflow learning. But in my in my regard, you might as well have just continued to call it what it was, and and stop confusing both practitioners and our stakeholders. Just call it what it is. But this is why I wanted to start with this conversation because if we misinterpret, misunderstand, misappropriate this term and the practice of workflow learning, then we are, in my belief, going to miss the biggest opportunity that we have in learning and development to do what we. Are in organizations to do. Now, maybe we need to, to move on to the, the next stage of, could you give us some examples then of what workflow learning is? We could talk about what it isn't there. And I think that we, we could perhaps put a box around what we've just discussed there with the e-learning, micro-learning, webinars, content on demand. But can you give us some examples of what it actually is, um, what, when, and where it takes place? Sure. There are three 
three real uh, uh, workflow learning environments, uh, if you will. There, the, the first has to do with, with uh, workflow learning that, uh, that is an extension of formal learning. That is, uh, the real environment for learning is the workflow. That is the most perfect environment to learn. It's it's where where uh, learners are highly motivated, where mm-hmm. your your work is is real, you know. And so there's a compelling reasons you have a, a, a perfect environment. And and uh, we we look we often look at the formal side of learning, you know, what we do uh, formally, and think that that's learning. Well, that initiates learning, but that's not real learning. Real learning happens after people take whatever they learn in a classroom or in e-learning or whatever, and they begin to apply it in, in, the, in their own workflow where they have to transition from just a cognitive understanding and maybe some uh, very constrained practice activities into a, an environment of ever-changing uh, opportunity to perform, Right. The, the, the greatest skill or competency that any employee can have today is the ability to be adaptive, to adapt uh, to meet the challenges. And, and in that adaptiveness, you develop experience, right? Hmm. Real experience is developed uh, in the flow of work. And so one, one uh, example of workflow learning is where uh, people may be trained in a formal way. And then they're given the tools that they need to be able to transition that learning uh, and transition it and adapt it into their own work environments and then have the support they need as they develop experience. Because it's really, I call it the accelerated experience model, but it's it's where we, we, we accelerate. We don't just toss them over the fence and say, you know, go out and, and now good luck. On applying mm-hmm. it, but we create a performance support infrastructure around our learners. So we train them with that infrastructure in the formal learning, and then they walk into the workflow with that infrastructure around them, coaching them, guiding them, helping them as they develop experience again and again and again and develop their adaptive capacity. That is workflow learning, that extension, if you will. Yeah. Does that make sense? I- it totally makes sense. And I think that uh, to build on that um, as well, comrade, if I, if I have understood this correctly, that as well as um, support of formal learning, the vast majority of people as they transition into and through an organisation, whether that's sideways or, or upwards, don't actually attend um, formal learning programmes because for that transition or in time for that transition so when I'm talking about workflow learning uh, and and point of work a lot of the time I'm saying that it's not actually replacing anything this isn't workflow learning this isn't about throwing all your courses out or replacing all of your e-learning the only thing that workflow learning is actually replacing is fumbling along and inefficiently trying to solve the same problems that hundreds if not thousands of people have already solved in your organization providing guardrails to guide and support you to do more of the right things at the right time so that you can start getting results more predictably and reliably rather than this this mishmash of, of trying to make sense of an organization and as you mentioned earlier, within the context of that, and it's not just your the context of your workstation and your cubicle, it's the context in which the interactions and uh, and the uh, the dynamics 
are at play when you are trying to perform. A lot of people will come into an organization and they're chosen for their technical know-how, but it's not until that technical know-how hits the the obstacles that are placed there by the the culture of an organization, which is everything about yeah. how to get the right things done, that people start to flounder. I don't. I wonder whether whether that's an element of workflow well, learning. That, if you almost take formal out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I'm talking about. It, you know, I just had a, a, a last year a heart valve replaced, and when, when I met with my surgeon who was going to replace that my heart valve. Uh, my question wasn't, uh, tell me about your formal learning. Tell me, you know, what was your last e-learning course? But I, I wanted to know his experience. And mm. I wanted to know the experience of the team. And then I wanted to know their success rate. I wanted to know I wanted some measurement data. You know, those yeah. were the three things that I needed. And uh, what you're talking about is really the, the transition from uh, what we generally call training and learning into the workflow where people actually do where real learning occurs, right? Yeah. Where experience is developed. And that that is one aspect of workflow learning, not the only. There are two other aspects of workflow learning. But that's that's a very important what you're talking about is a vital uh uh insight to what workflow learning is. Uh, mm. we, we can't just stop at at the formal learning event. We've got to extend that reach into the workflow to assist in that transition that you're talking about and mm -hmm. and then to build uh, at an accelerated rate the experience level of people be because that is what is vital to an organization, the wisdom and experience of their folks, just like I needed wisdom and experience mm -hmm. when I had my heart valve replaced. So you've got the experience acceleration model that I just shared with you, but then you've got the, the the other end of that spectrum where people learn exclusively in the flow of work, where mm. they initiate it in the flow of work, but they learn as they actually do their job. This is where we develop or we provide and, and build what we call a digital culture, an EPSS, what Gloria Geary called an EPSS, an embedded performance support solution. And, mm. and that enables... Uh, individuals to just initiate their, learn, their learning in the flow of work as they actually do their job. This is mm -hmm. the heart of it. And we've been doing this for years. Uh, and it, it, is, it is absolutely powerful, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in, in that process. And that is the true workflow learning. Uh, I, I just want, want, want folks to understand that, that we can extend learning into the workflow from formal learning but there is also uh, there are also models in place for people to be able to learn, initiate it in the flow of work, learn while they do their job, and develop that experience in the flow of work all uh, uh, exclusively there. And mm. then in between those two worlds, there's this bridge model where we, we do this all the time in our virtual uh, uh, training uh, delivery that we call GEAR. Gear is is a, a virtual learning model where the G is you gather online uh, to learn in a formal learning setting. E is you expand your understanding after that through activities. A is you then apply what you you learned in the flow of work as you do your job. So you you apply it in the real world, and then R for Gear is you report back. So that's kind mm -hmm. of a blend. Where, where you you do some training and then people work in the flow of work and do their activities and their apply assignments 
I expand mm. and apply assignments and then uh, in the flow of work, and then they return and report and receive feedback, which is a blend between the two worlds. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So those are three environments. Uh, just in, in, in answering you know, your question here, uh, some examples, I, I look through the, the lens of those three, three uh, uh, examples at what workflow learning can be. So Conrad, this totally makes sense to me, um, but I know that workflow learning has its critics uh, and it has been criticized in that it's not based on any research or it's not been backed up by studies um, as opposed to say instructional design. Um, what's your response to this? And is there research that, that backs up its validity? Heavens, uh, it, it's, it, it's all there. I mean, there, there, uh, we don't, don't do anything that doesn't have um, uh, an applied research um, behind it. You, you know, uh, so I have a PhD in instructional psychology and technology. Instructional um, learning theory is, is a found, was a foundational part of all of that. And there are three fundamental schools of, of uh, learning theory. You know, there's behaviorism and cognitivism and then constructivism. Mm -hmm. And uh, behavioral um, learning theory has been around, all of these have been around a long time. Uh, uh, but when, when we build a workflow learning solution, we're pulling from the best of all three of those worlds. The, the least understood, I think, in our world is constructivism. Behavioralism uh, is... is was all about training and training, you know, uh, uh, principles of, of training, what we do. And, and their uh, methodology does make a difference. Mm. Uh, cognitive uh, uh, learning theory came in and said, well, we need to focus on the learner. Sure, we do. And there are cognitive constructs that we need to have, all of which applies in the world of a workflow learning theory. But the, the great gift that constructivism gave us is, is a whole body of research uh, around experiential learning. And that's been the piece that has been slower in being recognized. Uh, you, you know, most L&D teams are highly steeped in behavioral and cognitive uh, psychology, uh, you know, learning theory principles. But it's the, the experiential learning theory where, we, where the, the research and the work about how we have to tie what we, uh, you know, learning into the real world, into experience, uh, all mm. of that. And, and there's a, a remarkable body of research behind constructivism to, to help us uh, understand. But I think it's important. It's not one of those worlds. It's all of those worlds that we draw upon to build a true integrated five moments of need solution which extends learning into the workflow. I, I, look, I think that, uh, that I'm, pl I'm pleased that, uh, that you've been able to, to reference a, a broad, uh, such a broad response there, because I know that from my roles in, uh, in running learning and development functions, uh, ultimately, I was always accountable for people doing something fundamentally different. But the old content delivery model wasn't really designed for that. In my, in my mind, it was much more around uh, creating an environment where people felt good and it felt as if it was a complete solution um, rather than, and, and what I meant there is that all the main topics were covered. Now, we knew 
that very little would change as a result. We'd even caveat in a formal in a formal development setting and say, look, if you do if one thing differently as a result of this, or nothing will change if you uh, if you don't transfer, or you need the, the the support of your line manager if this is, you know, and I always thought. Why? Why is this thing so fragile? It's you know, it's almost as if I've passed this on to you, and now this is this is made of the 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 most lightweight glass. As you now they take this back to where you worked. But workflow learning, what I felt has always made sense, is that that you are with people when they need the the guidance and support the most in order to guide and support them to do the things that they will be expected and rewarded for in the context in which it is required. And you know, you're thinking, this totally makes sense. And when I've, when I've talked about it in the past, I've, I've thought this was, uh, it was much more akin to the, the old, um, uh, when, I, when I was uh, first learning about, uh, about training and development in the 1990s and reading books, there was something called sitting with Nelly. I don't know whether that translates <laughs> to where you are, Conrad, but it, was, it meant that you're sitting with somebody who is more experienced than you as they, they go about doing the job. You're watching over the shoulder. You take over tasks eventually. You're having conversations. It's personalized to your, uh, your, your capability and the situations until you take over that. Now, very rarely does that happen because in knowledge work, uh, when somebody leaves a role and another person joins, an opportunity is given in order to uh, to morph the role based on the um, the new person's skills and experience, plus the change in demands with uh, inside and outside the organisation. So the roles are very really the same. So how do you still guide and support somebody with the aggregated expertise, perhaps of the team or the organisation, uh, plus insights from from stakeholders and customers in order? to help them to do the things that they are required to do. Now, if I said to you that there was a training course or e-learning um, uh, available for that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think you might still be laughing um, for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> if you're listening to this and thinking, but how do I do this? How do I use data to inform my decisions and actions? And how do I use technology to drive performance in my organization? Well, that's what we do at Loop. With Loop, you'll never struggle with engagement and instead, you'll be solving real problems, automating digital learning campaigns and getting real results. See how we'll help you to realize this at loop.co, that's loop with three O's, and schedule a demo with one of our experts. Now, back to the show. So Conrad, workflow learning then is about affecting performance and you've written about how we measure it. Could you give us a quick summary of this as well, please? Well, this was, uh, <laughs> I read a, a wonderful article by Gloria Geary written in uh, the early 1990s. Uh, and uh, in that, she, she was heading up a, a, tr a training group, uh, um, an L&D group, um, and she had been asked by her leadership to report uh, on traditional learning metrics, using traditional learning metrics, you know, the whole uh, butts and seats and all of that. Mm if I can use that term. But, uh, and so she wrote an article, why don't we just weigh them? And <laughs> she said, <laughs> what she did was she, uh, she, she replied to her leadership. She says, I have a better idea. Let's bring in a cattle weighing uh, machine and, and we'll just weigh our students before we teach them. Then we'll weigh them after. And I'll give you those metrics because that will be more helpful than what you're asking for. But Gloria had insight that the rest of the learning world didn't. What she understood was the discipline that she had created, that she was pioneering, 
which is a discipline of performance support. And what she knew is mm. when you build a, 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 an infrastructure that's supporting people in the flow of work, that carries with it the ability to gather data about how mm. they are doing, that it is the missing link, that trying to bridge from learning to actually business impact is difficult because you're missing the very uh, tools that can measure the, the, uh, the connection that needs to be made between learning and performance, if you will. And so uh, as she uh, uh, proposed this novel idea of an EPSS, a digital coach, a, a, a digital tool that provides you access to just what you need at the moment of need to get the job done and all the resources, she knew that you could build into that the ability to, uh, to measure. And what we've learned since then is that when you build a, an e, a digital coach and you implement that, people choose whether they use it. And because of that very issue, if they choose to use it again and again and again, it means that it's successfully helping them. And we then have the ability to push out and to confirm, but that has opened the door to our uh, ability to truly target you know, performance and mm. performance impact, which is at the heart of everything when it comes to, to, uh, to, to measurement. So uh, the, the exciting part of, of, of measurement for me is that we've been able to move beyond uh, why don't we just weigh them <laughs> yeah. to, to true me- measurement, the, the measuring of, of, of impact in, in, in every way possible. You know, uh, there, there's some uh, suggestion that, that organizations waste a lot of time searching for the right tools and, and resources to do their job. You know, I don't know. Uh, McKinsey has uh, had a, a research report where they suggested that that's uh, one-fifth of, of a person's time. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is really for any organization, but, but w- wasted time searching for things is stupid. You know, yeah. and we can certainly measure that time to competency, time to effective performance. We can measure that. We just did a project with a, a client where we were able to cut time to effective performance in half. It was taking them 18 months to bring people to the point where they could perform effectively on the job in all the ways they need to. We cut that in half, you know, uh, slice that in half. And, and we were able to measure it. Because of uh, we have this wonderful tool uh, that is embedded in the workflow that let, gives us insight and vision to how people are performing and lets us verify through micro polling and other things uh, where it makes sense. And we found that as well, Conrad, in that um, if you're providing people with what they need when they need it, engagement is the least of your worries. It, yeah. it pains me that so much of the learning tech market is about gaining engagement, guaranteed engagement. We've got so much more. You know, you're thinking it's, it should be a given. If you take the engagement equation out, like well, said the engagement element out of the equation and you think, well, it's, it's guaranteed because it's what people need when they need it. You start talking about what really matters, which is the performance itself and the results of the individual. And that's what you're aiming at. But yeah. so much of learning and development, because usually it's the wrong stuff at the wrong time. It might be the right stuff at the wrong time, <laughs> but, but, but it's likely to be the wrong stuff 
that doesn't have the context of what the individual where the individual actually works and what they're trying to do or the roles in which they play within an organization and therefore you're trying to pull people or bribe people with uh, competitiveness and games and you know, and all of this additional stuff and where you're kind of thinking you know I kind of get where you're coming from because you're trying to entice people in because they might see value when they're there but there's nothing like good old-fashioned helping people when they really need help and alerting them to value that it's going to save them time, not that they're going to disappear into a gaming warren for an hour, you know, and then have to yeah. catch up on their work afterwards. It's it's directly linked. Now, on your podcast, Conrad, um, Performance Matters, uh, with uh, yourself and Bob Mosher, you talked about why you use the phrase workflow learning and not performance support the EPSS, as, uh, as you just described there, Electronic Performance Support System. Could you explain this for us also, um, why you think performance support is often underestimated, underappreciated, and speaking generally, underutilized in L&D? Well, our experience is that, that um, performance support, that having a performance support infrastructure in place enables us to move to workflow learning, right? But it also enables us to optimize the formal side of learning as well. Mm. Uh, so so it, it is just a key practice that, that enables our ability to solve a lot of challenges, to integrate the, the formal learning with the, the, with, with the workflow, to, uh, to ex extend learning into the workflow like we've talked about. So you 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 can't have true workflow learning where people learn as they do their work without performance uh, performance support done in the right way, uh, you know, supporting folks. So it, it just isn't going to happen without it. That's mm. that's what's important. But but the mistake that is often made is that that those in our discipline see performance support as an add-on. Yeah. Rather than then uh, I'm going to use performance support to optimize what I even do in the formal side. We, we, I've got about 30 years of 35 years of experience um, uh, looking at formal learning and what how much of formal learning can be pushed into the workflow exclusively, and in, uh, in all of that experience, working with many hundreds of organizations doing that analysis, on the average, half of what is being uh, done today in the formal side can be pushed exclusively into the flow of work. We can cut that, that burden of, of, of time away from work, time stopping work in half. You know, that's significant. Uh, that that more than justifies the investment back into the world of performance support uh, mm. to to be able to do what needs to be done, and and, and it's just astonishing to me ac across the board. Uh, on the average, uh, half of what's being done could be pushed exclusively into the flow of work, and that's going to take a mindset shift on the behalf of uh, the L and D practitioners. At the moment, we uh, value and measure inputs. So the time that we take people away from their work, so time spent training, and look for um, an ever-inflating number there. What you're describing is the the amount of time we're keeping people in the workflow in order to, to support, but by keeping them in the workflow and effectively 
affecting performance, then we can start talking about outputs, to what extent our interventions have had the desired impact on both performance and results. That, that there requires a, a mindset shift, which leads me on nicely to my next question, because Corred, I wanna know what skills are required by the L&D team to introduce and maintain workflow learning? <laughs> well, you know, the, one of them, of course, is uh, you, you've got to understand and be able to design for, I believe, all five moments of learning need. Mm. Uh, we haven't talked about that here today, but, but years ago, as I left graduate school and, and entered the real world of work, I was working for a, a, a major oil company, and um, I, I became responsible for not only the formal learning, but the, the learning team, but the help desk and, and the uh, technical training or technical communications arm. And what became clear to me at that time, those many years ago, is that there were five moments of learning need. The first and uh, most important is the moment of apply. Mm. And then the moment of change, when I have to unlearn to relearn. The moment of solve, when things go wrong. And then the moments of, the moments of learn new, but also the moment, of, lear uh, moment of, of learn more, which is very different than learn new, which our, our, the L&D hasn't figured out yet. They, they apply mm. in learning New, more the same models as learn new, which is waste wasted time. But the mm. bottom line is that that uh, the the skill is you've got to know how to design a true solution that accommodates all five of those moments. And that that started me in 1984 on a journey of of taking uh, research, the, the our knowledge of of learning development uh, and and uh, applying it to those five moments. And we have a methodology called Enable that is an instructional design methodology that we've developed over these, these many years and, uh, and implemented. And behind there is, uh, are the, the skills that are needed, you know, uh, for that. And uh, um, would be happy. I, we have a white paper. Would be happy to make that available if folks are interested in it. But you've we'll got. Put, to, we'll put a, uh, a link in the show notes there, Con. What's that? We'll put a link to that in the uh, the show notes. Good. So th at the heart of of uh, of the skill set is being able to map the moment of apply. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to be able to step in and map the moment of apply as it, as it occurs in the flow of work. And if you can do that, then you can build around that everything that you need. Now, I'd love to go deeper on this because I think that this is um, uh, one of the real key missing links for learning and development. I, I wonder whether it's it's similar to user centricity in this regard, in that it, we need to understand the 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 person that we're seeking to influence and their world a little in order to be able to influence them to do the things that will get them results and will do things in the way that the the organization expects. What what do you mean when you when you say um, starting with the moment of applier in a way that um, L&D professionals with a traditional skill set and mindset um, may recognize? Well, so the, the mindset, the mindset for most L&D groups when uh, they face uh, a, a stakeholder who wants 
us to to meet their whatever need that they have is to think about learning. Well, really, we need to be thinking about performance, right? Performance mm. in the workflow. That's the moment of apply. What is it that people need to be able to do in the workflow? And and uh, that that's that's what you design for first, uh, supporting people in that workflow, and then you can back into to what degree do we need formal learning? Mm. So uh, when, when I when I sit down with a stakeholder and they they say to me, uh, I need you to do some e-learning uh, <laughs> for us, or uh, I, I need a couple of more days of training. I'll, uh, we In our methodology, we step back and say, okay, let, let's talk about the challenges and opportunities that you're, you're, you're seeking to, to address. What, what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? And then we ask the question as we identify those, so what's the impact? What, what kind of impact do you need to have then in the workflow? So we're, we're, we're now talking about performance. The mindset is performance. And then we're going to put together a, a, a plan for delivering that impact you know, that will meet those challenges and opportunities that you have. It, it changes the discussion to a mm. p- performance discussion, and that's so vital you know, in our journey. And it's in contrast to the traditional approach, which is more topic-centric, or as you've just described there, it's program or, or product-centric. When the stakeholder asks for um, a program or e-learning, and then they name it, that's kind of the top, what I call the topic-centric approach. What you're describing here with the performance approach is, is the person and what they're trying to do. Am I right? Absolutely. Spot on. Now, I've had many conversations with uh, with people uh, that, that will continue from this point, um, and it generally goes along the lines of, oh my God, but that, that just throws open Pandora's box of, like, how am I supposed to know um, which of the, the moments of apply that I'm trying to affect? There are going to be, I've got 10,000 people, there are going to be hundreds of thousands of moments of apply, for which I always say there aren't nearly it doesn't take nearly as much work to address a specific performance um, uh, interaction or, or element than it does to build a program which doesn't really aim at performance, but just with your content, you've literally loaded a uh, um, one of those things that, that that in medieval times you'll fill, you'll put a rock in, and then you'll send it off. It's kind of you've catapult. put enough mud in, catapult, yeah, a huge catapult. You fill it with mud, and that's your content, and then you fling it, and then what you hope <laughs> is that with that one little part of that will land and affect performance. What you're talking about here, with, as far as I understand, and and in my experience, is you are you are literally. Look, seeking to understand a specific, a thing that really matters, a critical point of failure that really needs to be addressed, for which there is both concern, you know, and they're generally concerned by all parties. And just how, by being laser focused on that one thing, takes an enormous amount less time, and more often than not, will lead to a result, or, or is it at least progress towards a result? Is that your experience too? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so we. Uh, you know, we focus on uh, the moment of apply at the job task level. Yeah. And when we map the workflow, we map the, the, the tasks. That, by the way, is coming out of behavioral uh, learning theory. But then we identify, uh, we organize all of those in, into meaningful groups, which is called junking, which is coming out of cognitive theory, 
And then we, we identify the supporting knowledge, again, out of cognitive theory. And then we organize it according to how people do their work coming out of experiential theory. You know, mm. so, so it's, it's, uh, and once you have that map, that, that map where you, you have, uh, uh, you know what it is that people need to be able to do, then you can orchestrate all of your resources around those tasks. You can yeah. orchestrate your, your training uh, uh, around those tasks. And you can actually uh, determine which tasks need to be learned in the flow of work exclusively and which tasks can be learned uh, and deserve and, and merit a focus on in, in a formal way because the consequences of failure are so significant to catastrophic that it makes sense to do that. And by the mm -hmm. way, when you do that, rather than just chasing measurable learning objectives uh, uh, like we do uh, tr traditionally in learning, you find things that, uh, and you deal with things that are generally missed. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, because you're focusing in on what it is that people need to do. We did this, Dave, uh, uh, for a, an organization that uh, was trying to train people to oversee the safety and security of the United States of America. Okay, mm. just a small, just a small matter there. Matter there, <laughs> <laughs> and they had uh, close to three hundred mega objectives for this five-day course that had fifth, you know, fifteen hundred slides uh, across those five days. Uh, and <laughs> when when we brought to bear this this approach of focusing on the moment of apply and identifying the job tasks, we found. 77% of those job tasks that people needed to be to do that that were significant to catastrophic had been missed completely mm. one of which would have compromised national security and the lives of people all missed because the focus was on learning not on performance yeah again when it's topic centric the the creators the designers the committees even can look at um, a schedule on paper and say that looks like it covers everything but it, without an examination of the work the context the people the challenges the gritty reality then it can be seriously missed we i mean we we've, we've seen the same when we we did uh, we did some stuff for uh, for assimilating new managers and we do that for um, as people come into organizations um, yeah, again, based on the gritty reality of, uh, of becoming a manager. And when you've got questions like, uh, how, how do you speak to somebody who doesn't like you? Like as a new manager, when you first come in, you're going, oh man, that wasn't on the, uh, that wasn't in the course. <laughs> like like we, we're painting a rosy picture. Do we do that in forming, storming, performing? It's like, it's like, it's just a million miles out. But yeah. there's, there's one thing us are saying this and, you know, we've got to realise that, um, that we're going to face objections from stakeholders because they know how to buy programmes and we know how to sell programmes. And, you know, trying to sell workflow learning, which is perhaps less tangible. If you were to say, could you show me that what that might look like? You've always got to go down the road a little bit and they've got to go with you in order for them to kind of see it and experience it. What's your experience with uh, with helping learning and development teams sell workflow learning as an approach to their stakeholders? Well, we always start with the five moments of need to help to help stakeholders understand. Hey, there are five moments of learning need, and they they always get it. You know, uh, so if you, if you're not successful at the moment of apply, 
what good is your investment in the moments of learn new and more? Yeah. You know, so, and, and uh, how much, how much time and effort are you wasting in an organization trying to solve problems uh, rather than doing the work, you know? And so, uh, you know, we, we start at the five moments and that seems to, to, to shift the conversation. Mm. It always does shift the conversation to what it needs to be. Yeah, I can see how it's it's so logical, and um, we've had Bob Mosher on the um, uh, on the podcast on episode nineteen, and he goes into a great deal of detail um, on the five moments. So that's a, a good companion listen to to this one. But we'll also put uh, put a link um, uh, to your website for the five moments as well, so we can go into to greater detail there. I think you're right with stakeholders; they want to. If there's anything at stake, they'll want something that works, and if you can back up with uh, with a model that that you uh, you know how to get this stuff to work then I think they'll come with you yeah um you know, we, we come, we're coming to wrap up um, but I really would like to know whether there was a time um, when you were more traditionally focused uh, you know as a LD practitioner more drawn towards the training delivery side that, that I think the vast majority of the profession is still there and what was your tipping point that finds you where you are today with all that we've just discussed in uh, in this podcast well my tipping point was in 1984 that was a long time ago <laughs> so uh, uh, and and that was I, I uh, had been hired by a prestigious, you know, a great company. And I was working on my first project. My, uh, the, the fellow I reported to came in and said, how's it going? I said, I'm just finishing the analysis stage. And he goes, I didn't hire you to analyze. I hired you to produce things. What have you got done? <laughs> and it was a changing moment for me. I go, oh, and <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And it, it shifted my thinking about instructional design. Uh, and, and I realized that the world was different in the world of uh, the real world than, than what I had academically been prepared for. And so I began uh, consolidating uh, instructional design practices uh, and uh, it, it, based upon an understanding that that what we do in the, in the world of learning is a means to an end, and the end is performance. Yeah. We, we get caught up in the means, and, and that becomes our end sometimes in our, in our world of learning. You know, we're uh, enamored by uh, the latest little techno darling of the moment, mm -hmm. and we get enamored by singular solutions, e-learning, micro-learning, yeah. and we chase it. Uh, uh, rather than realizing that all of these things that that we're that we're doing are a means to an end, and what is that end? It's effective performance on the job, all the time, mm -hmm. everywhere. That's the means to the end, and and so that shift came for me a long time ago. I, I my entire work since then has been to uh, figure that out, to figure out how to create a, 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 an instructional design methodology that accommodates all five moments of need, that where the footprint of effort isn't greater than the traditional footprint of developing learning. And that mm -hmm. requires doing something that we have a hard time doing in the world of instructional design, and that is consolidating our practices, not increasing them, you know, yeah. to... to uh, uh, to, to figure out what it is that we really need to do and 
to tighten our, our way and to move into agile practices of instructional design. Mm. Which leads me then to my, my final question then, Conrad. Um, if we, the listener is, uh, is intrigued, perhaps inspired, that, uh, that workflow learning is something that they would like to experiment with and certainly explore, um, how would you recommend that they do so um, with, the, with an added caveat with a focus on trying it? <laughs> well, uh, so let me give you three high-level uh, um, uh, suggestions and then a, a, a specific Okay. The first is uh, the first step in all of this journey is to check your own mindset mm-hmm. and and to 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 carefully um, uh, look at yourself and say, do I have a learning mindset or a performance mindset? You got to mm-hmm. shift to pr- a performance mindset. Uh, it, you got to be thinking about the moment of apply and and mm-hmm. what what do we do, and and then uh, aligning everything that you do with the workflow. That is just so powerful. So it, it's you, you begin to align it. That means that you've got to know how to map the workflow, uh, mm-hmm. what, how people perform their jobs. But then, and, and then the third is is to 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 take on the challenge of figuring out how to push as much learning as you safely can into the flow of work, where people can learn as they do their job. Now, where do you go to do that? Well, we have a, a performance support community with a, a lot of folks, uh, practitioners who are, are working and figuring that out. It doesn't cost anything, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to start. Our, uh, w- we have a, a, a tremendous amount of help, I think, uh, on our fivemomentsofneed.com uh, website mm-hmm. that deals with the five moments of need, and uh, th- that, that can also help you begin that journey. Wonderful. We'll put some uh, some links in the show notes. And then very finally, Conrad, if people want to follow your work and connect with you, how can they do so? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, but also, uh, again, the, the five moments of need dot uh, com is, is a, a good place to, to go to to, to get to the, uh, the work that Bob and I are doing. Wonderful. And uh, I will also advocate your podcast, Performance Matters, wow. uh, as well for uh, for. Uh, some great insights um, and uh, some rich conversations. Conrad, thank you so much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I wish I'd spoken with Conrad many years ago, nearer the beginning of my L&D career. I would have focused my attention and my own development very differently and made a much bigger difference in the organisations I've worked for. Hopefully you're seeing the potential too, having heard this conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.